At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But, but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex. Of bugs. (laughs) Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radiolab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get your podcasts. Olivia here. I want to tell you about a new podcast from Axios called One Big Thing. It's hosted by Nyla Boodoo and features interviews with leaders you know or need to know in business, politics, and culture. Each week, you'll hear one big conversation on the trends shaping our world, from people like Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, technology reporter Ina Freed, and chef and humanitarian Jose Andres. So go ahead, listen to One Big Thing on your favorite podcast app. New episodes drop every Thursday. Hello, and welcome to BioEats World a podcast at the intersection of bio, healthcare, and tech. I'm Olivia Webb. Today's episode is the latest addition to our Journal Club series. Joining A16Z investment partner Becky Ferdehert is Robbie Maisner. Robbie is an assistant professor of pediatrics in the Division of Hematology and Oncology at Stanford and co-founder of Link Cell Therapies, which is focused on the development of next-generation CAR-T therapies for patients with solid tumors. Together, they discuss a recent paper published in Nature, with the research coming out of Stanford and the Parker Institute for Cancer Immunotherapy. The paper outlines a new approach to developing logic-gated intracellular network, or LINK, CAR-T cells, as a means to simultaneously enhance both the safety and efficacy of these novel cell therapies. Let's get started. Robbie, welcome to BioEats World. Thank you so much for coming to discuss this exciting recent work from your lab. We're really looking forward to today's discussion. Before we dive into the science, I think it's always really interesting to learn about the person or the people behind the science. Could you tell me a bit about your background and how you got into science in the first place? Thank you, Becky, for for having me on here today, first of all. I really came to science and laboratory science through through clinical medicine. Uh, I worked in a lab when I was in college and absolutely hated it. Um, I was working on sex differentiation in frogs. I don't even really know or understand what the project was, but it didn't work out well. And I said, I am never going to pipette again. And uh, I stayed true to that through the rest of college through medical school, through residency. And then I became an oncology fellow, pediatric oncology fellow at a joint program between Hopkins and the NIH. And the first year I was lucky to be taking care of patients that were there for clinical trials. And when it was right at the time that CAR T cells, CD19 CAR T cells were showing efficacy in pediatric leukemia and of course also in adult lymphoma. And just seeing how patients that really had no other clinical options and got these uh, CAR T cells that were made in the same building and, you know, invented there and met, or engineered there and, and several other places. Uh, and the fact that physician scientists could make these therapeutics and then put them into patients and see really patients cured in front of them, that just amazed me. I was kind of propelled to try the lab again uh, as a fellow during our research years, hated it the first six months, cursed every day. But something caught on at some point and just really being able to knowing that 
what we were engineering in the lab could potentially go into patients and have effects like CD19 CAR had had uh, in, in kids with leukemia really just kind of drove me forward and, and let me stick with it. And then, you know, eventually I kind of finished up my my fellowship and instructorship, which is like the medical word for postdoc, and then uh, found that I, I still don't, I don't have to buy pet either. So lucky to have, have fantastic people in the lab that are doing the work now. You didn't know that you worked on sex differentiation in frogs. I worked on sex, sex differentiation in worms. So we have a common background. Before we discuss your lab's recently published work, let's start by covering the basics. Could you bring our audience up to speed on what chimeric antigen receptor or CAR T cells are and how they're already making a positive impact on the field of cancer immunotherapy today? CARs are basically a hacked version of uh, the T cell receptor. When I say that, it's, you need to know a little bit about how, how T cells work. So T cells are probably the most powerful immune cells around the body, the most potent for sure, but they also have the ability to expand, persist, form memory. So if they see something they like to kill, they'll stick around and remember how to kill that. So T cells against COVID, T cells against measles, et cetera. That's what keeps us safe from infections. But they also surveil the body for genetic mutations. Uh, and those are the genetic mutations that can cause cancer. You have this really powerful component of the immune system. Each T cell has a very, uh, 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 its specificity is very unique. So it recognizes kind of one foreign protein. So maybe something that came from a bacteria or a virus or a mutated protein. Um, and it does it in a very complex matter that's genetically restricted to that patient or within that patient's ethnicity. And so when I say that is even if we find a T cell that in some patient prevents a cancer, it's really hard to take that T-cell receptor or that specific T-cell and put it in another patient. There are engineered T-cell receptors that do that, but oftentimes you need to screen, like even if you have one that works, you need to screen 100 patients to find 10 that it could work in. So they're, they're very hard to kind of mass produce for massive amount of patients. Um, and so CAR T-cells kind of flipped this on its head and said, how can we use this machinery or this, this immune compartment and redirect these really potent cells against cancer more broadly in a way that we can apply it to all patients? So it's not genetically restricted. Um, and the first ideas came in the late 80s and early 90s. And uh, the first iterations, uh, they look uh, cars look like today, which is an antigen, antigen binding component, usually a little piece of an antibody that recognizes something on the cancer cell. And they, you, you can fuse it through, and through genetic engineering, express it in a T cell and you fuse it to the signaling components of the T cell. So you make this hacked receptor that takes the inside of this native complex T cell receptor and just fuse it to an antibody or a piece of an antibody. And of course, that antibody needs to recognize something on cancer cells. Cancer expresses, you know, a bunch of different things on its surface. And you need to go after something that's going to be on every cancer cell. And where have CAR T cells worked so far? It's recognizing these lineage-restricted antigens, so these proteins that have to do with what type of cell the leukemia or also myeloma grew out of. And right now, what people have done is gone after B-cell lineage-restricted antigens. What does that mean? These are markers that mark something as a B-cell. And so we have CD19 and leukemia and lymphoma, also CD20, CD22 are in the clinic, but not uh, FDA approved. And then in myeloma, we have BCMA. So these are markers that are expressed on normal B cells or normal plasma cells. And you use an antibody fragment that recognizes them. One of the reasons this has worked well in, in, in B cell malignancies 
is if you sacrifice all your B cells, because the car is going to recognize something on every leukemia cell or lymphoma cell, but it is also going to recognize something on every B cell. Patients can tolerate not having B cells. So you give these CD19 CAR T cells to the patient, they recognize in a genetically unrestricted manner all of the cancer cells that express CD19, but they also recognize the normal B cells. That's tolerable to patients. You can live without your B cells. When we start thinking about going after other cancers, so myeloid leukemias or solid tumors, we don't have those antigens necessarily that are uniquely expressed on cancer but not expressed on normal tissues that are vital. Because B cells aren't vital, we've been able to have CAR T cells in the clinic that don't eliminate uh, a vital normal tissue. But we haven't yet figured out how to do that for solid tumors. So I hear you saying that identifying solid tumor cells as cancerous is difficult to do via just one target antigen or protein tag on the outside of the cancer cell, if you will. In order to address this issue, Multiple academic groups, as well as companies, have attempted to engineer a logic system into CAR T-cells with the goal of creating an AND gate such that two antigens or two proteins on the surface of the disease cells must be present in order to get killing by the CAR T-cell. Can you tell us a bit about what strategies have been previously tried here and why you set an opportunity for a better solution? Sure. So... You know, there's this hope that we can uniquely identify cancer cells, maybe with a combination of two antigens or maybe even more antigens that will tell the cell, program the the T cell so that it knows only attack that cell and not attack a normal tissue. The ways that this this has been done, I guess there's there's two or three major approaches that have been tried. Uh, The first one was just to weaken the signaling in your in, in a regular car. Uh, So this is kind of a split car approach. So typical cars that are in the clinic right now use two two signals. One is kind of the master switch that turns on T-cells. That's called CD3 Zeta. And the other one is a co-stimulatory signal. And that's kind of put some extra oomph in the T-cell and and really is what pushes the T-cell to expand and persist. And so if you have two targets that that are uniquely expressed on cancer, there was this idea that you can put Zeta the, the first signal on a uh, car for one target, and then build a second car with uh, specificity for a second target that contains the only, only the costin. So here you'll only have kind of full immune activation when both targets are present. The problem with this approach is even first generation, so-called first generation cars, cars that only contain CD3 Zeta, um, have caused this problem of on-target off-tumor toxicity in the clinic. So there was uh, trial, there were trials in the Netherlands that were trying to go after a uh, an antigen that's expressed on renal tumors and biliary cancer by uh, attacking this antigen called CA9. But CA9 is also expressed on normal cells in the liver. And when they did the clinical trial, they saw that the CAR T cells, the CA9-specific CAR T cells, even though it was just a Zeta-only CAR with no costim, caused toxicity. So you can't really fully uh, eliminate the potential toxicity with this approach. The other thing is you never really know what kind of toxicity you're going to have with any of these antigens until you go into a human. And so if you're going to want to go after a dangerous antigen, you really want to go into the clinical trial with a system where you say, okay, I'm sure there won't be toxicity. Um, Because if you're going after something that maybe, let's say, is on the hard, uh, toxicity can be fatal quite quickly. 
Uh, there have been some high profile cases where things like that have happened with engineered T cells, where they recognize something on the heart or the brain and patients died, you know, within 24 hours of, um, of administration. So to really be confident, you need a system that's not just tempering the signal. You need something that's really eliminating the signal unless both antigens are there. The second approach has been these gene surrogates. Uh, the most well-known is, is Synotch, which was really this, this beautiful approach that used basic biology of notch receptors in order to build these synthetic gene circuits. So here, it's really kind of an if-then system. You have a first uh, receptor called the Synotch receptor that might recognize antigen A. That receptor doesn't turn on the T-cell, but instead it releases a transcription factor, which is something that then drives expression of a fully loaded car against antigen B. So it's if you see antigen A, then you tell the cell, build the car against antigen B. And then the cell is loaded uh, with this car against antigen B to kill that tissue that expressed both antigen A and antigen B. The problem with this system as, as a direct AND gate is that once the cell has the car on it, the car expresses antigen B, and there's nothing to stop it from killing normal tissue that also expresses antigen B. Now, this is temporarily controlled, so over time, the car goes away. So if, if the tissues are really far in the body, you might be okay. We don't know. We haven't, we haven't seen clinical data from this approach yet. But definitely, if the cells are right next to each other, you're going to have this bystander effect where it kills cells that are near the tumor that express only antigen B. And so this approach is just not, uh, is not feasible as a real AND gate. And if you want to build something that really has no chance of on-target off-tumor toxicity, you need a system that has no signaling in response to single antigens, but only signals when you have a response to both antigens. That makes sense. Okay, so now that we have the background and understand the value and the history of CAR-T logic gates, let's dive into some of the key experiments and data from your lab. Similar to when a normal T-cell in our body becomes activated, when a car interacts with its target antigen, this leads to turning on a cascade of intracellular messages, ultimately leading to killing of that target cell. Your group wanted to find the minimal set of functionally necessary messages for this response. Can you help us understand the purpose of reducing this system down to its necessary components? We really started playing in this space and understanding this this proximal signaling cascade because cars act differently than the native T-cell receptor. We had seen that with other cars. And just to give an example, the native T-cell receptor, regular T-cell receptor, can recognize cells that express very low levels of their target. So you could have very low levels of the viral protein in your infected cell, and the T-cell receptor can still eliminate that cell. And that's been different in the behavior of cars. So for instance, in the trial, we, we we had at the NCI of a CD22 car for pediatric leukemia, patients would relapse with their leukemia, sometimes just lowering the amount of CD22. So they would have a great response to CD22 car, but then the leukemia would come back with just low CD22. And the T cells, even though they were still there, couldn't kill that leukemia because uh, their unable CAR T cells are una unable to recognize low levels of antigen. So we had previously done work that kind of traced this to a deficiency in signaling. So we wanted to understand more about the signaling. So actually, when we started this project, it had nothing to do with logic gating. It had to do with just understanding how the signaling worked. We said, okay, how, how does the car signal? And everyone kind of assumed it was exactly like the T-cell receptor using the same proteins. And it turned out it is. It does depend on the same exact networks as, as, the T, as what's known for the T-cell receptor. But 
we just individually knocked those out to kind of be sure of it. And once we did that and we saw, okay, it goes through this very specific pathway, just like the T-cell receptor, we said, is there something we can learn from this? There's something that we can engineer uh, based off of this. And we knew, okay, the cell, you know, it starts with CD3 zeta. That's what's used in the car. And that's the master switch in the T-cell receptor. But next comes LCK, which is uh, kind of a messenger protein. Next comes an additional messenger protein called ZAP70. Um, and we said, hey, maybe if this is direct from A to B to C, we could just start the circuit with, with B or C. So we built these cars where we just took away zeta. We took away that master switch of T-cell signaling, and we replaced it with some of these messenger proteins. And honestly, we didn't expect any of it to work. But, you know, looking back, cars probably shouldn't work. You take a T-cell receptor, which is this really complex receptor that has, you know, five different chains of uh, signaling chains in it, and you reduce it to one chain. And it puts patients in remission from leukemia and lymphoma. I mean, that's just crazy to think about. Someone, someone dreamed this up on, uh, you know, in the lab or on a, on a napkin or something like that. And the fact that it works is just crazy. So we said, okay, let's just try a bunch of these messenger proteins. And we rebuilt cars not to use CD3 zeta and just use these downstream messenger proteins. And fortunately, uh, some of them worked. That's really exciting and, and super interesting. So at this point, you found a set of signaling molecules that when engineered into the intracellular portion of a car, not only maintain antigen-dependent car activation, but also have some very intriguing key advantages with respect to tumor cell killing and the ability for these cells to avoid a state known as exhaustion. This is a really exciting result. Were you expecting to see improvements across multiple dimensions like this? And what implications does this finding have? Yeah, so we we definitely did not expect it. We found that one of well, two of these messenger proteins, ZAP70 and PLC gamma, could work to replace CD3 zeta. So you as your primary signaling component in the car, you could use, let's say, ZAP70 instead. And we were excited when we found it, but also we thought, oh, maybe this is just the cheap party trick. And I'll explain why. Zeta basically becomes a scaffold for clustering of ZAP70. That's how T cell signaling works. So if you have zeta and you cluster it, a bunch of ZAP70 is also going to cluster. So now we built a car that, by definition, you know, when it signals, it, it doesn't have Zeta, it just has ZAP70, but it just clusters a bunch together. So we're like, okay, all we did was kind of recreate that without the um, scaffold for Zeta. So we weren't sure it was going to work at all. And actually, in all of our in vitro experiments, uh, there was no advantage. It looked exactly like a Zeta car. Sometimes it made a little bit less cytokine. Sometimes it made a little bit more in response to the tumor. It always killed the tumor cells uh, pretty much the, very similarly. But we just happened to say, okay, I think we were doing an experiment for another reason. And we said, oh, let's just throw an extra group on here and test it. And uh, so really great activity. And what we could trace this to was reduced tonic signaling, which is this problem that cars have that because they're kind of these hacked engineered receptors, at least the Zeta ones have often have very high levels of this tonic signaling. And T-cells hate that. T-cells think, oh, why am I being stimulated so much that there's signal even when there's no antigen around? Um, and so they, they basically get suppressed, exhausted. They try to turn themselves off. And we have much less of that with the ZAP70 cars. So no, it was, it, it was unexpected. We think there's other reasons that the ZAP70 cars are better. 
but we haven't really nailed those scientifically yet. But clearly in our uh, in vivo models, both the, the ones that we show in the paper, but also many, many more that we've done in, in the lab and, and continue to explore for these AP70 cars, we have a real advantage with these. We hope that for monospecific targets, so, so targets that you can go after that are deemed to be safe, whether that be CD19 and leukemia or now, you know, GD2, which is this target that's that's on some pediatric cancers that we work on in the lab um, and seems to be safe as a car target by itself, we hope that these cars actually are a meaningful step up from the current generation of cars. But there's a lot still to be done to understand their biology and then, of course, test them in clinical trials. Yeah, so interesting. So these ZAP70 cars are interesting and valuable in and of themselves, which is an exciting result. Um, but it's also worth remembering that the ultimate goal here wasn't just to find a new way to avoid T-cell exhaustion or to make a more potent CAR-T cell therapy, but rather to engineer a logic system into these cells, essentially making them smarter and enabling them with the ability to recognize and execute on multiple antigens. So to steal your thunder, you landed on a combination of two signaling molecules that when engineered into a CAR, must both be activated to initiate cell killing. Impressively, this system appeared to perform better in vivo than previous logic-gated car platforms. Could you walk us through why this system may be outperforming these previously reported logic-gated platforms? Sure. So first I'll, I'll describe, if it's okay, how, how the system works. Once we saw that we can make a car out of ZAP70 and, and kind of initiate signaling from these internal messengers, the, the messenger proteins that are usually within the cell, we said, oh, wow, sky might be the limit here that you can direct T-cell activity um, by using the internal machinery. And so we knew the role of ZAP70 is actually just to bring together two other molecules. One is called LAT and one is called SLIP76. And they basically, once they come together, you get another molecule being able to bind, and that's what really drives the T-cell to turn on. That's what mobilizes all of the T-cell activity. So we reasoned, well, if ZAP70 can work as a car and its role is just to bring together LAT and SLIP76, what if we artificially brought together LAT and SLIP76? And so we built this link system and, and, and uh, where one car with one specificity was on LAT and another car with another specificity was on SLIP76. Again, didn't really expect it to work at all, but somehow it, it turned on the T-cells. When they saw a tumor cell that expressed both antigens, two antigens, in this case, we use these tool antigens of CD19 and HER2, the T-cell fired. When, when we saw that, we realized, okay, that's where we can build the Boolean logic ant gate, because now we've made this, the T-cell signaling dependent on bringing both of these cars in. It wasn't simple to get from that to a functional ant gate, because the system, when we built it, was very leaky. You would have some activity when the T-cell the saw only one antigen. But, uh, you know, went through about two years of engineering and hundreds of constructs that aren't in the paper. I mean, we tried everything we could think of and eventually came to what we, we named the link system. It doesn't fire when you have um, single antigen cells that express only one antigen. So whether those are tumor cells that, it, you know, are artificially only express one antigen or normal tissue that expresses those antigen, it won't fire. It'll only fire on tumor cells that express both antigens. And so we tested it in an in vivo model, in, in a mouse model, where a regular car kills the mouse because it recognizes the target on mouse lungs. So we, we used this car for, for a target known as ROAR1, 
Um, and WER1 has some low-level expression on the lungs in mice. And people had previously shown, a couple labs had shown, that WER1 cars, if they're potent enough, can just directly kill mice because they go and they recognize the tumor, but at the same time, they recognize the on-target WER1 on the lungs and cause this off-tumor toxicity. They kill the lung tissue. We said, okay, we really wanted to test in this mouse model because we wanted to make sure that we could go after a dangerous antigen. This is one of the few models that allows you to do that in the mouse. We, we tested our LINCAR and actually we tested many variations of our LINCAR and the first ones that we had made that were leaky, they killed the mouse. But, you know, we show in the paper, as we went through cleaner and cleaner iterations of it, we got to a point where we could eliminate the tumor, eradicate the tumor, which expresses both antigens, uh, but it didn't cause toxicity in the mice. So you didn't recognize the mouse lungs. And when we compared it to the other systems that are out there that we mentioned before, either the split car system or the Synodge, both of those systems killed the mice. The split car, because the Zeta-only, kind of the attenuated signaling Zeta-only car, still recognized where one on the mouse lungs and killed them. And the Synodge car, there you actually had delayed death of the mice because the T-cells initially don't recognize the mouse lung because they don't have the car against where one. They have a car, they have the Synodge receptor against something else. But once those travel to the tumor, recognize uh, CD19 on the tumor and express the car against where one, against this dangerous antigen, those cells then traveled back to the lung and killed the mouse. So um, we thought it was a, a, a nice uh, kind of proof of concept that this system can do what we, we set out to do, which is recognize tumor cells that express both antigens while ignoring normal tissues that may express one of the dangerous antigens. Still a lot of work, obviously, to get this to the clinic, really understanding the um, co-expression of, of, of targets like this on both cancer and normal tissue uh, that we're working on. What an amazing feat of... Uh engineering, hacking our body's own natural cellular signaling molecules to perform new functions. So if I could, to summarize, through this work, you've shown that CAR T-cells function via the same downstream signaling molecules as normal T-cell receptor does, and that you can hijack two of these downstream signaling molecules, hook them up to CARs, and ultimately engineer a true Boolean logic AND gate, which you have called the link CAR system. So what CAR-T applications does your link CAR technology platform enable that would have otherwise been impossible? I think there are a few antigens out there that we're starting to see some safety with monospecific CARs, so CARs that need only one specificity. So I mentioned this sugar GD2 that is expressed on some pediatric cancers. There seems to be some safety with that one. There's uh, a trial from China from a, a cloud in that came out last year in gastric cancer, it seems safe. Another cloud in, in um, germ cell tumors and uh, ovarian cancer from uh, BioNTech. There seems to be some you know, purportedly safe targets, but we actually don't fully understand how safe those targets are. The responses to CAR T cells, they're definitely there, but they're limited. Uh, some patients, you know, most patients have, have partial responses and we don't know as we push those T cells harder and harder on, on these monospecific targets, are you going to recognize a tissue that expresses low level of that monospecific target? I can really only speak for, for GD2. We know very well that that's expressed at low levels on normal nerve cells. So we do think that one day we will we, we have the potential to make a GD2 card that's so potent that we do have this on-target off-tumor toxicity. And right now with the current generation of cars with some of these targets, we may just be threading a therapeutic window. 
But we know that we're going to need to make cars more potent to really tackle most solid tumors. And people are already doing that. They're adding cytokines and other potency enhancements. And we're going to see more and more of this on target off tumor talk. So we really need a way to specifically target cancer cells. And this is going to allow us to do that. So beyond this, this academic work, you've also started a company called Link Cell Therapies based on this science. What made you decide that this work was ready to be translated into a startup setting rather than continuing to develop it within your own academic lab? I think part of this is really knowing the strengths and, and deficiencies in, in my own lab and our own expertise. I really felt that most, most of the CAR T-cell world doesn't do a lot of work on targets. It's a lot of engineering and it's a lot of immunology. The cars that, that people work with in these academic labs are uh, against targets that are really known antibody targets. HER2, GD2, B7H3, EGFRV3, things that have been out there already. And target discovery for antibodies, for bispecifics and for CARs, has always looked at it from a kind of monospecific, what is one target I can go after that's really high in cancer and lower on normal tissue. But the type of technology that you need to build and the pipelines to really understand co-expression of cancer targets both on cancer tissues, because you really need to know that both targets are there on every cell, and then make sure that they're not co-expressed on the normal tissue. They can both be expressed on normal tissues, but they need to be expressed on different normal tissues. This was just not an expertise that we had in my lab and is something that we're really working to build and uh, have started to put together at Lake Cell that we have brought in, you know, bioinformaticians are doing a lot of work with primary uh, patient samples, both normal tissue and um, cancer tissues to really understand what are the best targets there. And the reason we're doing that is because we think that the system is going to allow us to fundamentally redefine what can be a cancer target. There's all these things that cancer co-ops and expresses at really high levels. So sialoglycans, these are sugars that reprogram the immune system, integrins that allow the cancer to probably be able to interact with many different metastasize and, and interact with many different tissues. These are normal tissue antigens that cancer co-ops and express at really high levels. So you can't really go after them with cars. You know, a car against an, an integrant most likely would be toxic. But can we pair that with something else, like a lineage-restricted marker for that type of cancer? Let's say it's, it's gastric cancer and find some combinations that are not co-expressed on normal tissue and be able to change the type of targets that we can go after. And so, you know, my feeling was that that was something that needed to happen uh, outside of my lab and in a place that we could really build up that expertise. So your hypothesis is that actually this modality, this approach, uh, will fundamentally change the way that we look at target discovery because there are many valuable targets out there that we perhaps have ignored because as a single target, they're not specific enough, but in combination, they can become incredibly interesting. That is the hypothesis behind the company. And we hope that, that we're able to uncover those targets uh, using our methods. But, you know, we hope that people now will, will see the system and in academia also will realize, okay, it is possible to do some of this logic gating in a true way with CAR T cells, with very potent therapeutics, and start thinking about this problem. Robbie, so we know that science is definitely a team sport and a very collaborative effort. So I'd love to hear more about the scientists who are involved in these efforts in addition to yourself. 
I think in a way I'm a little bit external to the efforts from day to day really comes from the, the people in my lab. And so, you know, I really need to note that this project was led by a really talented individual, Aidan Towsley, who actually came to my lab a year out of uh, undergraduate. Uh, and it was with me for about four years total. So, you know, never did a PhD, didn't have an MD, uh, had done a little bit of science, had a degree in biology, but hadn't, you know, run a project before. And he just, for for years, kept his head down, kept cloning new constructs and testing them. And he grew tremendously as a scientist, but also uh, he was able to do this because he just got dedicated to the project and worked really hard. I just think it, it says a lot about what you can do with kind of grit, determination, and some ability to to stick with things for as many successes as he had, there's 10 times as many failures in, in engineering and constructs. And, you know, the rest of my lab also significantly um, contributed. I think every member at the time we submitted the paper is a co-author, um, but the second author was my first postdoc and she did a ton of the in, in vivo work and then also really uh, helped significantly contribute uh, academically to really understanding this system. I'm incredibly thankful for these uh, individuals for how how hard they work on on behalf of the laboratory, um, and just I've learned a ton from them. Also, because really we did this project together. One last question for you, Robbie. So one of the things I love about science is that oftentimes the discovery of new scientific innovations, such as the link CAR T cells, spurs the generation of more ideas and more possibilities that can now be unlocked because of this discovery. So I'm wondering. What is next for you? What is the next big what if question that this work inspired you to tackle next? I think first within T cells, there's just so much more to this proximal signaling cascade. There's many, you know, inhibitories, proteins also. So can we go in and create systems that are even more complex that maybe have a not gate? So something that would, if antigen C were present, it would turn this thing off. So you can increase the specificity. I think when we found that we could use molecules from inside the cell and make them into surface receptors, you know, there's no way these are the only molecules that will work like this. Um, and it's likely that there's molecules from other cell types that'll work in T cells, you know, that'll still trip the system in T cells. So we're really starting to look broadly at cytosolic molecules, kinases, phosphatases that could be also turned into um, different surface receptors. And, you know, what, what I hope more broadly, it also sparks this question outside of the immune engineering. Are there other cell types that you can control their function by using their intracellular machinery? So you don't only have to build the surface receptors that are already there, but could we drive different cellular functions from engineered organs that we can more directly then control their internal activity? Uh, so hopeful that, that, that some of that spreads out of, out of this work, but we'll see. Super exciting and intriguing. Robbie, thank you so much for taking the time to come on BioEats World today and for sharing your science with us. We really appreciate it. Of course, thanks so much for the invitation and the chance to share. Thank you for joining BioEats World. BioEats World is hosted and produced by me, Olivia Webb, with the help of the Bio and Health team at A16Z and edited by Phil Hegseth. BioEats World is part of the A16Z podcast network. If you have questions about the episode or want to suggest topics for a future episode, please email bioeatsworld at a16z.com. Last but not least, if you're enjoying BioEats World, please leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. The content here is for informational purposes only, should not be taken as legal, business, tax, or investment advice, or be used to evaluate any investment or security, 
and is not directed at any investors or potential investors in any A16Z fund. Please note that A16Z and its affiliates may maintain investments in the companies discussed in this podcast. For more details, including a link to our investments, please see a16z.com slash disclosures. <laughs>